Um, so we'll get started. Well, very briefly, because you said to keep introduced. So I do practice law and uh, in family law, personal injury, um, and it has been a challenge. And um, you'll hear a little bit about that today, but not as much today, but some. Um, but conflict is something I deal with on an everyday basis. Um, there is whether anyone is Every case I pick up, every client I'm representing, everyone, they're in conflict or they wouldn't have hired me. They're either going through a divorce or they're um, trying to get um, compensation for some injury that they received. Um, now, I do do wills, and so sometimes when I do wills, they're not conflict-filled, and that's nice for me anyway. They're conflict-filled for the client, maybe, because they have to figure it all out. But, um, but, and then I do mediations as well, like Paula does. And yes, and so it's always, there's conflict every day. And so... Um, so today, I'm sure that um, when you all saw the message, I don't know about you, but coming to hear about conflict could be like going to a conference on patience. Very few want, people want to go. But, um, but thank you for being here, because conflict, actually, um, as we hear from so many people, like wonderful prophets like Graham Cook and some other folks, that actually it, is, it can take us to new heights with walking with God, and we can impact atmospheres in ways that we, we couldn't otherwise. And so it's really great opportunity um, and it's, if we change the way we think about it, it could be amazing. So I want to give you just a little joke. I might have to read a little bit of it. But so, you know, God's pretty brilliant, right? So this guy, this, these scientists, they come up to God and they say, you know, God, we've got it all figured out. We can copy and make humans. We can do all kinds of things with DNA and stuff. We don't really need you anymore. And God said, really? Okay. Well, uh, you know, uh, let's keep talking. And um, so he said, he, the guy, even the scientist kept saying things. He goes, I'm going to challenge you, God. We can even make another human. And God said, sure, you know what? You're on. Let's go over here. Let's go and make some humans together, right? And so the guy um, reaches down to start to grab some dirt. And God says, uh-uh, get your own dirt. Now, it took me a while to get that joke. <laughs> I had to reread it. So if you all, but you know, because God owns the dirt, right? And, um, and this, you know, so anyway. So anyway, I just liked it because God was pretty brilliant. So so in dealing with conflict, there's something that um, I was, when I was on staff at, um, oh, besides, besides being a lawyer, I've been on staff at two different churches, and um, one as a children and youth director from infant through high school in Chicago, and, and then one here in the Denver area as a children's pastor, infant through fifth grade. And so when we, um, I was on staff at this church here at Greenwood, and Pastor Bob Krulish, who's still there, came up and he talked to all of our staff, and we're all pastors of different, you know, things, and I think he even had, you know, like all the staff members there as well, and he said, what's the first thing the Israelites did wrong when they were out in the wilderness? What was the first thing they did wrong? Well, you know, even our head pastor, well, they did this, and we, we were all throwing stuff out there, and, you know, like, well, they, um, you know, I don't know, they didn't pray, they didn't, whatever. And so God, and Pastor Bob Krulish said something I haven't forgotten. I still think of this. And he goes, they, they did not remember. They forgot. They did not remember. And even in the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, remember me. Okay, and so he brought it all the way back, you know. Remember me. And I'm sure that all the Israelites or the Jewish people at that time knew what he meant by remember because they all knew their Old Testament really well. So remembering is our, our key. It's always the key, remembering. And, um, and I'm going to jump to, I'm going to not follow my outline as, 
closely as maybe you don't follow it either, Chip, sometimes, but you know, or Paula, but here, and Bob. So here it goes. So there's, a, there's this Dr. Caroline Leaf. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, she is a Christian scientist. She's a brain scientist. In fact, her stuff is really great. And she talks about our brain, and she uh, has all these different tools that I've seen people use, and it's life-changing. But she brings, she's very, very much a believer. But she talks about how our brain can think of, I just heard this yesterday or t- the day before, so I haven't completely researched what she's saying. She says our brain can think of God six times in one minute. And then she talks about the science behind that. So there's apparently some science behind it. But she says six times in a minute. So when it talks about taking our thoughts captive, we have the ability, and we don't have to beat ourselves up, you know, it's a practice, but we have the ability to think about God six times a day. So I've been starting to think about that, not six times a day, yeah, or six times a minute, I mean, but I'm trying, I'm working on it. So anyway, so just to kind of start thinking, we can remember God six times in one minute. That's amazing, you know, so, and she's also very great. She talks about how our brain, the more we, basically, she's a Christian, so she says it in other words sometimes to non-believers, but the more we think on God's truth, the more our brain starts to change. It really is either a crispy bush that's dead, or it's a live bush that's full of life. And she says, we have the ability, until the time we die, to get more live branches in our head. And, but we just have to focus on God's truth, and we have to practice it and practice it. So, but she does say it's the one organ that does not age. So... Um, so that's a good thing to know. Um, so here's the message tonight. So how do we go into conflict? How do we deal with conflict in rest and peace? How? Like, and I don't know about all of you, but when I even think of conflict, sometimes oh, my stomach starts to turn and I think, oh, yuck. And that's because I haven't fully gotten to where I need to be, where I to really think about conflict and just rest in it in the way God thinks. So it's a practice and I'm practicing it a lot, but still practicing so conflict's present in our everyday lives all the time, whether it's small or big. It could be uh, a little thing uh, with your spouse or your child or your neighbor or, you know, there's little things that happen, right, all the time with your somebody from work. Um, it could even be as small as, you know, somebody, th- you, somebody in your household thought you were leaving at 8 and somebody else said, no, we're leaving at 8.15 and now we're going to be late and everybody's all frustrated, right? So there's little things that happen all the time. Conflict is really very much present, but it's not just present in our everyday lives and our families and stuff. It's present in our group settings, or like at work, but group settings, um, one church versus another church sometimes, um, and it's, we all can say we love each other, but when it comes down to certain theology, um, it could get a little heated if we start to debate. I mean, even Paul and Peter had some moments back there in the, Old, in the New Testament, right, where Paul had to set Peter straight, <laughs> But, but, you know, but they all had to debate and think about it. And, um, and so that's all. And even Paul had conflict with a few other, you know, that other, what was that one guy he had conflict? Bar, yeah, Barnabas. So, um, so, and then one of the things that God's taught me in, um, as a lawyer, so I really practice, I go, Lord, how do I rest and have peace as a lawyer every day? And how do I do it when I go into trial? So as a family law lawyer, I just want to tell you a little bit. I have... When people come to me, they want me to um, be, the, be their God in some, a lot of times. They want me to go out there and really be that real aggressive attorney who's going to teach the other side a lesson, right? And they don't, and most of my clients are Christians, but they still come to me and they just want that justice. That's understandable. Justice is good to desire. Yeah, it's good. Um, but they really sometimes want me to really, you know, let the other side have it. Tell that other attorney or tell the judge. Well, in my experience, I understand 
that approach is not effective as, as effective as most people think. It might have short-term consequences in a good way for them, maybe, and maybe not, actually. But I know long-term, most of the people I represent are going to be co-parents, and they've got a co-parent no matter what, and they're going to go to weddings, and they're going to go to all kinds of grandchildren. And you know what? You want to be able to be able to see that person. So I have the long-term vision in my head. But what's hard, what I have to deal with, though, is they expect, I have a responsibility to give them advice about things that matter most to their lives, their children. Most people never want to be separated from their children. And, and so parenting time is huge. Um, and even though the courts often want 50-50, you know, push for that, and they really push for it, it doesn't always happen. And so it's hard. The other thing is, is their finances. I mean, and I really get to see the difference between men and women, generalization-wise. Um, those are just generalizations. Everyone's different. But generally, there are some things that are true of the men versus the women. And, um, and so I represent both men and women all the time. Um, but they're, they're looking to me about things that I'm like, Lord, this is a heavier burden than I can handle. And it's a lot of conflict. And if I say it wrong, or if I forget to tell them something, or even if I do my very best, and I do everything, quote, perfectly, which I don't think we can, but if everything, even if I did, they may not walk out with the parenting time that they really thought they should have, or I would want them to have. But they don't walk out with the finances they thought they would. And it's, and it's terrible. So I really feel a heavy burden. And Jesus says, don't take that yoke, right? So I'm constantly like, how do I not take that yoke? So how do I, so there's a scripture, it's Hebrews 4.11, and this is our, the primary, it's Hebrews 4.11, and it says, and I'm going to read you the easy version first, which is, well, I didn't type out the easy version, but it's, let us therefore labor to be at rest, and basically not do what so that it does not lead us down in unbelief. But now let me read it into the Amplified. Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest, sounds strange, of God to know and experience it for ourselves that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief or disobedience into which those did in the wilderness. So they're referring back to the people, the, Egypt, the Israelites, after they left Egypt and they're in the wilderness. They're saying, look, man, those guys really messed up. Well, we all can mess up and we do, the same as them quite often. But it says, therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest. So I don't know if you all know Creflo Dollar. I watch TV pastors all the time. I love them. I turn them on in the morning and that's what I listen to. I don't listen to the news I go from channel to channel and listen to them. If they say something goofy, well, you know, I've, somebody taught me still to love them and pray for them and then move on. So that's what I do. Or I just move on. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, so this Creflo Dollar, he just taught for like a whole month on rest, labor to rest, labor to rest. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, that is what we have to do every day. So when I have a trial coming up or I have a client or there's a conflict, that's coming up that I don't really know how to handle. And in family law, it's so many different ways. I mean, every time, it's a whole different issue. So somebody's nodding, Tina knows somehow. <laughs> so you just never know. So it's, and so every day I'm like, Lord, how do I rest in this? And then talk to my client. How do I rest in this and talk to the opposing counsel? How do I rest in this, even prepare and go to trial and talk to the judge? How do I do this? How do I rest in talking to my staff because sometimes I get overwhelmed, and so I'm like, oh, you know, well, how do I rest with them? 
so they don't feel my overwhelmedness. So I get rid of the, I mean, it is every day. I'm like, how do I rest? I labor to rest every day. So, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'm talking to a lot of people. I mean, all of you do this stuff too. So this is, I know I'm talking to a, a mature bunch of believers and that's wonderful. So now, um, so no offense, I'm, that's why I do it at the office. I just throw stuff on the floor when I'm done with it. So I'm just going to throw it off there. So um, we've talked about kind of ch- conflicts, church conflicts, high school. You know, even in high school I had conflict, you know, with some things. And um, So conflict, one of the things we want to go on first is when you start to deal with conflict, kind of look, what's going on inside of you? Like, what, why, am, why is my stomach doing this? And sometimes you don't know the answer, and then sometimes it's different sometimes. But really, for me, I'm often afraid that God's really not going to come in and take care of me or my clients or whoever else I'm concerned with. I'm concerned that, you know what, he's going to leave me out there. He's not really going to come in and take care of me. And so to me, it's a safety issue. I need to know God is going to provide safety for me and security. And that's, that's what deep down goes on. And that's a core for me. Um, very briefly, I don't need to get much into it, but my childhood was really rough. I was abused from when I was even from a baby on. And uh, so I learned early on that I don't even know what safe parents really are. I mean, I love my parents now and I talk to them, but safe parents doesn't really compute in my head. So God's been teaching me how he is a safe parent. And so I'm learning that. Well, if he's a safe parent, he's a great God to run to, what happens when I go to court? And he, what if he doesn't, you know, what if he doesn't show up? What if some, you know, so I really have been practicing a lot on trusting God and resting in him and knowing he's my security. Um, so, but it's what's going on inside of me. So you all have to answer what's going on inside of you. And then um, when we, uh, this lady I gave this, what's that lady's name? She's Graham Cook's right hand. Allison Bone. Bone? BLWN bone. Anyway, so she uh, talks about conflict and what happens, and Dr. Leaf talks about this too, but when you get anxious, when we, we reach conflict and we have anxiety or fear, first of all, no beating ourselves up. Those are sometimes emotions. At the same time, they don't belong to us. They're not, they don't belong to us, and we don't have to become friends to them. So how do we not become friends to them? So, well, and, 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 when, and the reality is it constricts your brain. There's a physical action. It, it constricts my brain. So if I'm feeling anxious and fearful, I'm not thinking as well as I could. I'm not thinking at full capacity. How do, and I want to use my brain. You know, Jesus gave me a good brain. All of us got have good brains because he gave it to you. So how do we do that? So, um, so this laboring to rest. So the one thing that is, as we go forward, one thing I tell myself a lot, and I hear a lot from, like, Allison Bone and from others, practice. We're just going to keep practicing this so there's no condemnation, no shame. I fail often, <laughs> way more often than I'd like, but I do. But that's okay. No shame, no condemnation. I'm just going to keep practicing the next time. I'm going to keep getting better and better. Like Bob said earlier, Graham Cook says that some, we, if we keep going around the mountain, it may look a little, it, it looks different all the time because we feel like we're dealing with the same issue. But it's a little different because we're going higher up on the mountain and we're getting there. So, um, so one of the first things we want to do is remember God and remember our Father God and his face. Now, I, everybody has different visuals, right? So for me, the visual is I need to just stop and think of the Father's face. I want to think of Daddy God and Jesus. Now, sometimes I'm better. I don't know about all of you, but sometimes I want to hang out with Jesus 
and other times the Father God. And for me, it's really weird so far. It hasn't been both of them, but it's starting to be a bit better than both of them. But usually it's one or the other, probably because I need something more from Jesus or I need something more from my dad, so my heavenly dad. So it's something whatever I'm needing probably is what I'm doing. So I have this, my sister, she likes to go to the dollar, you know, like get stuff cheap. She got this picture and I reframed it and it is, I love it. Now, um, we're not supposed to have idols, you know, like images, I think, or something. But this, I keep on my wall. It is a picture. Can you all see it? It is Jesus laughing. It's in my bedroom before I go to bed. It's right as I'm laying there reading and thinking of God. Right there it is. And it calms me down because Jesus and Father God are not worried at all. Like, they don't care about my conflict. I mean, in the sense they don't care. They're like, oh, we're not worried. In fact, we're excited. We're excited about what we're going to do here with your conflict. Like, no worries to us. They're not worried. Father God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are never, ever worried. And that so just calms me down to go, oh, well, they're not worried. <laughs> then why should I be worried? So I, that's, for me, an image that I look at. And um, so that's how I remember. I keep this around my house, you know, right there where I'm, before I go to bed, that's when anxiety can sometimes hit me. And so that's why I have that picture of Jesus. And I go, you know, so that helps. Um, so it's remembering who God is, what his promises are, you know, what, he, what is he going to do for us? Who is he? And then it's also remembering, who am I? And not that I do all this perfectly every time. It's different times. One time I need to remember one thing about who I am, another time another. Um, but it's remembering who I am. I'm blessed. I'm favored. I'm equipped. The, the Bible says, when I get ready to go to trial, I have to stand and fight and rest, <laughs> fight to believe and rest, keep resting knowing I'm equipped. And I'll tell you what, sometimes I have to remind myself quite a bit, I'm equipped, I'm equipped, you know. And so, um, because you go into trial and strange things happen. Um, and attorneys can throw, I kind of say pull out of their butt, I hope that's okay, but they pull out of their butt these arguments sometimes that you're just like, what? And I, I was not, and it was just something that they, you know, the judge didn't even listen to. And you think, oh, the judge isn't going to listen to that. And then all of a sudden you see the judge going, mm-hmm, I'm like, crap. Now what do I do? You know, like, okay, now. So then I'm like, okay, okay, what's the, what do I need to do? You know, and the judge right there goes, okay, Miss Munt, what do you have to say? You have to know just like that what you're going to say every time. And you can't, you have to have, throw out something. And so I have to be ready, you know. And, you know, and I would say usually I am. Every once in a while I was like, well, and I just throw out something. The judge looks at me and kind of smirks. That was good. Good try, you know. So, um, but, so here's the thing that, I think is really cool. Um, so what does God want me to do during this particular conflict? Now, sometimes we have times to, re to process. Sometimes we have to respond right away. Um, but nonetheless, just getting ready. So let's say you have a conflict going on in your life. So I always ask God, what do I need to do? Well, so I brought my toolbox. <laughs> and I kind of often think, which tool is God going to give me today? And God has toolbox tools that would fill up this room and more like there's no end to his creativity and that I know and I live out there's no end to a new tool but his tools are all written you know in this bible right and so like you know I love our bibles on the cell phone one day I was sitting in with Chip and his kids and we all flipped and it was a bible you know we were looking at a verse and then we all flipped out our phones you know and it was so cool it was like oh my gosh you know we're all flipped looking at our phones the only negative about that is, like, I underline so many things in my Bible, and I just love to flip. 
And now, I know that people have gone to seminary are often taught, and a lot of pastors, well, now, we shouldn't be flipping to hear the Lord of God. I'm a flipper. But I don't just flip to one thing. Like, I flip till something hits me sometimes. And I'll go, no, it's not working. Oh, this works, you know. But, in it, but it's the Holy Spirit because then it ministers to my heart, but I'm a flipper. So when people say that, I say, well, I've been walking with God for a lot of years, and it's, it works. So, but that's what's nice about the underlined part because as I flip, I usually gravitate towards what's already been underlined, usually. But anyway, it's not the only way I read the Bible, but actually most of the time. <laughs> so anyway, so, um, but here's the thing. So which tool is it? And so I'm going to give you a couple examples um, of tools. When I first, uh, I became a Christian when I was in eighth grade. I was in, um, I was getting back, uh, confirmed in the Lutheran church, and I told God I would give him my heart, but I would not give it to the Lutheran church. Sorry if anybody's Lutheran, but I just, it just didn't work for me. But I told God I'd give it to him. So I became, and I could tell the Holy Spirit came in. I didn't see, understand it till later, um, but the Holy Spirit came in and and actually, life got harder, actually, rather than easier for a lot of years. Um, because now I was aware of all my emotions where I, before I could just be dull and empty and, you know, I don't know. I don't know what all happened, but I just know it got hard. Um, but so when I, then I recommitted my, then I fell away from God and got mad at him and all kinds of stuff. And then I finally came back to God in, um, let's see, 1996. And I recommitted my life to Christ. And then, um, what God, the tools God first gave me um, when, for my conflict at that time that I was in, uh, was at my job and thought maybe I was going to lose it as a lawyer then. And uh, what God gave me then was lots of validation. Like I was in this group of women who had been also been through some tough times as children. And so we were, I was getting so much validation. I've never had validation. Never in my whole life have I had validation until that time. And it was like, wow. And I, I just ate it up, man. It was awesome. And that was a tool God just gave me over and over and over again. Well, then after a while, God knew I was growing up. And so then now he starts to give me, he starts to say, well, now let's look at your part in the conflict. And I'm like, what? But then I was like, all right. So now let me start looking at my part. So then God started to teach me responsibility, repentance, um, and things like that. But then he also brought in that with, he said, no shame and no condemnation. I still... I mean, I've let go of so much shame and condemnation, but there's still some I still sometimes go, oh, I can see how that still crept in there and might be defensive or something. So now God brings me into another tool that God brought me. It was a weird one. Um, so I was on uh, staff at the church here in the Denver area, and I'm from Chicago, and I'm a Zoomer. I go full speed ahead. And like Pastor Bob Krulish used to tell me, Jay, you go from A to Z. And he goes, I need you to slow it down and go a little slower because you're, you're losing your staff because they were part-time stay-at-home moms. And um, we just, we'd do great. And then I was like, okay, I've got this new vision. We're going to do this and we're going to revamp this. And, and, um, and it impacted their jobs. So I talked to the senior pastor and all that. And they said, yeah, I'll go ahead and talk. And so I talked to them and they, it just fell apart and blew up. And I felt like during that season, I said, God, what do I do? Like, I know I was going too fast. My heart wasn't to hurt anybody, but, but yet there was a lot. It was hard. So I felt like at that point, it was kind of a funny one. There was a scripture in the Old Testament that says, keep your face like flint. And I felt like God was telling me, stand, just stand and know that you're, it's okay. Just stand. You can keep out, reach out and love people, but just stand. And not that I, I didn't have to hold on to the vision. That wasn't about the holding on to a vision. It was just standing in, in who I am in Christ, I guess. I don't really even understand it, but I kept my face like flint. And, uh, and it was a weird one. And I actually, one of the tools I have, I brought a little rock 
It was like, this looks, you know, it's kind of like Flint. It's just keep your face. And it didn't mean I couldn't smile and all that, but it just meant God said, stand. And I really had to do that. Um, looking back, the way the staff, the pastors um, did things wasn't right. And, uh, but it took me a while to realize that. And, you know, people just are, we're all fallen, right? And so they were just doing the best they could, but it wasn't right. It was really, really wrong, actually. And so at that moment, um, and so I just had to um, stand. And so, and so that was an interest. So that was, so that's interesting. One of the other tools, take captive our thoughts. And this goes back to that talk, Dr. Caroline Leaf. You know, and that's in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take captive our thoughts and, and watch those imaginations. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been really paying attention to the thoughts in my head. I don't know about you guys, but I have six zillion billion thoughts in my head every day. And it's amazing. Like, I'll just be like, and I'll be like, oh my gosh, how did I go down from here to here that quick? You know, like all of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm like, wait, what, what, where are you, where'd you just go, Jay? And then there's subtle thoughts. They don't seem so bad. Well, you know, I mean, just a little like, oh my gosh, I'm so mad at that car in front of me. And God's really worked with me on the road because um, I'm from Chicago and we go fast and I just don't do well with people who go slow. So anyway, but any, but that's, but take captive our thoughts. So I've really been practicing that. Like, and it's been, the more I do it, the more aware I am of how many thoughts I have that, that aren't life-giving. That's all there is to it. They're just not life-giving. What thoughts are life-giving? So that's a tool. Maybe for one conflict, you know, we have that tool. Um, then uh, one time, so another was weapons of warfare. Our warfare, again, as we all know, is not against flesh and blood, which I have to remind myself and my staff when they see an attorney call me and they can hear them yelling and screaming. And I'm like, and then I have to not yell and scream back. Or sometimes I go, just wait. Can you just listen for, a, you know, so I don't know. It's just different. Sometimes it's just different responses. But it's just like, how do I respond each time? Sometimes I do have to say, excuse, you know, you didn't give me, you're cutting down my client. And let's talk about the issue. What issue do you need resolved? We don't need, I don't need to hear about all that. Tell me what issue. What are we, where are we going with this? You know, and bring them back to, what do we need to work on? Let's don't, we don't have to just go all to all that. Let's come back. And, um, but weapons of warfare, by my battle, as well as all of ours, is not against the person driving really slow in the interstate, right, on the left-hand lane. Um, that's not my, that's, you know, but I will tell you, but it, it's, it's, and you know, and I may get involved in politics. I'm feeling a tug towards that. I'm, feeling it stronger all the time. It's been there for a long time, and it's getting stronger. So I know that is a battle zone, and I'm not, like, going, whoa, I get to go into politics. I'm going, ooh, because <laughs> it is. And then how do you, how do you communicate a mes message? How do you stand when, you know, anybody who really stands up for God and does politics in a good way is, you know, really the enemy just comes in, and you hear such bad stuff, right? So I know that's coming. But my weapons are not against, my warfare is not against any human. So I hold that. So I've got to take my thoughts captive when I start to think things, right? But here's the thing. So when I go into the courtroom, Pastor Lindy, who's at The Rock, used to be on my staff. And I was very blessed to have her for about two and a half years or so. And she taught me a lot about warfare. And well, really, I knew a lot already, but she gave me permission to use it in the courtroom. She goes, Jay, you have authority if you are the attorney and you're involved in that case, you have authority over that courtroom. Now, I may not have authority over the whole courthouse, although you guys have some authority in the courthouse because you are, you, you have a certain authority and that the government has given you, and to that extent, you can take authority, 
right? And I don't know, understand it all. So I might be saying some of that wrong, but I'm just telling you, I know that we have authority and we have to figure out what authority we actually have. But so Pastor Lindy taught me this. And so when I go to trial or I go to a mediation, I claim the blood of Jesus and then I bind every, oh, I actually bind the enemy first. I bind the enemy in all shapes, forms. He cannot speak. He cannot act. The enemy may come in because he may come in in a person, right? I can't control that, but I can shut that enemy up for the time we're in trial. And I'm going to tell you, I do that every time. And one time I forgot. It was just a simple initial status conference. Should have been a five-minute moment. It's supposed to be easy, right? And I, I always did it anyway, but I forgot. All of a sudden, everything blew up, and I went, oh, my gosh. I said, Your Honor, excuse me, I just have to go outside really quick. And they were taking a break about something. So I ran out. I was like, I'm probably doing the name of you know, and I don't, and I feel like we're supposed to say it out loud, but I'm really careful because I don't want to look crazy. So I'm like, you know, I'm just like, I whispered it, but I bound it and I went back in, boom, whole different scenario. Because when we bind the enemy, I'm not dealing with the demonic. I may be dealing with somebody's brokenness and their humanness, and I've dealt with that a lot. But when I bind the enemy, man, at least we got the enemy out of the way, right? Now I'm just dealing with that human and their brokenness and my brokenness. We're just dealing with us. And it makes a whole world of difference. I'll tell you an example, if I may. Am I good? So what happened one time is I, um, I was representing a woman. She's a, a Jewish believer, actually, and um, was divorced, but it was a post-decree action. Um, but, and it was all about parenting. And so dad, in his brokenness, um, uh, he... Well, let me just put it this way. So the children had come back and tell mom that the dog, that it was her dog, but it had been left there at the house, was starving. It was like thin skin and bones. And the dad said, and the children were like, oh, can we feed it? Don't you dare feed that dog. And they were not able to feed the dog. And, um, and that was one thing. But he just did, he's, he was very involved in Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, on the internet and was very high up in it. And um, my understanding is that that can really open a lot of doors. And so this guy... He just loved to be evil. I mean, I just have to tell you this. And I, and I really actually like the guy, but he loved to be evil, right? And so I had talked to him because he represented himself for a while. And um, so we went to court, and we had filed a protection order. So there's two things about this. One is the authority we have. So we went to court, and I did my usual. I bound the enemy, and it was just a protection order. Um, and the guy said, well, I've hired... This guy, attorney, comes up to me, and he goes, you know, and basically, he was one of, like, the best criminal attorneys in all of Denver, you know, and he was going to represent him in this protection order, and, but, and I was like, huh, okay, you know, and still, sometimes, I think, oh, you know, but I'm like, all right, okay, so I, and, but we had bound the enemy, so several things happened. One, he comes and talks to me, and he goes, well, as you know, we don't think you have a good case, but here's what we're going to offer you, you know, and, um, I stared at him this, as he made this offer. It was like way better than we would have ever expected. We were willing to negotiate with them, but they were offering. It was just like confusion in the enemy's camp in the Old Testament all over again. And he's offering this stuff, and I went, huh. Well, let me think about it. Inside, I'm going, you know, but, but to his face, I'm like, huh. Well, that's cool, you know, okay. Well, I'll, you know, let me talk to my client. Well, well, I don't know. We'll let you know. I talked to my client, and she's like, oh, my gosh. Like, we could never imagine that that would happen. It was so fun. So, so we walked out with a great offer. Another time, um, we went to court with him again. And, and again, I had bound the enemy. So in each time, we'd go to court. So I went to trial with him a number of times, like three or four times. And each time we went, it was interesting because, you know, I bound the enemy. And so when I'd go, this guy who I'd met at, you know, talked to other places, you know, we'd see him. He was just like, 
cocky and all this, and you know, just like whatever. And he would just do things that would cause all kinds of problems, right? But when I took authority, took bound the enemy, he'd come into the courtroom. And I'm telling you, he was so white, and I shook his hand, and it was clammy, and and he just didn't know how. This is my belief. He didn't know how to operate without the demons helping him. Like he was just like, oh, I don't know what to do, you know? Because usually I think the now I don't know if I'm okay to say all, this is just what I believe, and I don't know if it truly happened, but I believe that it is just like it was amazing. So I knew from my lesson with him, which was an extreme lesson, that that was important to do. The Lord does say, you know, take, you know, bind the enemy, bind what is ba- bind so it can be bound in heaven. I think bound what on earth, what is bound in heaven, loose what on earth, what is loosed in heaven, and so I believe that. So, so I did that. And so the other thing I want to tell you is, um, so another time I was in court and I had bound the enemy and, you know, but this opposing counsel was just really attacking my client on the stand. And I said, Lord, usually when we, you know, I bind and loose, I mean, it's usually different. So I figured it was just this guy's flesh. I mean, that's all I could think. You know, I mean, there's just me in my head thinking that, but I'm thinking that. So, but she was going at her so bad. And suddenly I just put my head down and in my head just went, Jesus, like Jesus. I just, I didn't know what else to do. I was like, Jesus, this is terrible. Because I, everything he was asking, he had the right to ask. I could not think of one. There was not one objection. And if I made it, and it was just to kind of interrupt his thing, I knew the judge would get mad at me. So I didn't want him to get mad at me because that would hurt my client. So I'm like, and so I just go, Jesus. And next, and right out of his mouth, right within two minutes after that, he asked her a question about a subject matter we could not get into evidence on our own because it wasn't allowed. But since he brought it up, it was great because we were, so it was awesome. So we were like, yes. And so it disrupted the whole courtroom after that. And everything was great because we were able to go, your honor, this and that. And so, and it, so it worked out. But crying out to Jesus, just plain old crying out to Jesus is a tool. Um, so then finally, I want to tell you, we have favor. That's another thing, one other thing Pastor Lindy taught me. So I would early on think, oh, man, these attorneys are just all out to get me. You know, they're just like, you know, I mean, it was silly for me to think that. But that's what I was feeling like because they were, in family law, you, you really do encounter probably the, the, well, the most, the least behaved attorneys you'll ever meet in your life. They, um, they kind of take on the stuff of their clients and they will just say things and do things, and they act. I mean, they, some of them will stomp their feet and move. You know, I've had attorneys hang up on me. You know, you know, reputable Christian man hang up on me. I'm like, oh my! He says he's Christian. Anyway, I know. But anyway, so you just get these things. And you're like, oh my gosh! Can we just talk about this? And um, it was just amazing. And so anyway, so but Pastor Lindy said, Jay, you have the favor of God even with your enemies. There's a little bit of a scripture right after that that says. Kind of like, as long as you're doing all you can to be at peace with all mankind, you have the favor even with your enemies. It's some, that's a kind of a messed up, but it's something like that. And I thought, I have favor even with my enemies. So I speak that with my clients when, we come, when they come. And um, so we, we spoke it in this particular moment that I had this attorney. It was the same guy from earlier that I told you about that I went to court with. So now he has an attorney, and she's just, you know, being really nasty or stuff. So I just start to speak out loud to myself. I have favor with her. I have favor with her. She called up, and we were having a conversation about some information I needed from her, her client. And I'm like, look, I've been asking for this for several years now. It would really be nice if we could just get this basic, you know, income verification. And um, so anyway, so we're talking. And, she, and so all of a sudden, uh, she started talking, and she told me out of the blue, which was really strange, um, that she had this really bad um, health condition, and it sounded like terminal something. She didn't quite say that. And we start talking. I said, well, can I pray for you? Is that okay? 
And she goes, yeah, that, I would love that. And I didn't pray on the phone because I wasn't there yet. Now I would do that. But back then I was like, oh, can I just pray for you? And she goes, oh, yeah, please. From there. And then was shortly thereafter, she got off the case because she couldn't handle her client. <laughs> so anyway, so then I dealt, was dealt with, dealing with him again. But that's okay. But it was just great. There was just great moment. Like she and I, can, and I was like, wow. So I've learned that I speak that I have, I have favor, even with my enemies, whoever that may be. I have favor. And when I speak that I have favor, it changes, you know, the science, the brain chemistry probably, but it changes my attitude. And now I can go into that conflict rest, more restful and peaceful because of that. So, um, so anyway, so I just wanted to tell you, those are just some examples. When we're in the midst, there, there's so many examples, the toolbox. We just don't know what tool God wants us. And that's why we just keep remembering who God is, who we are in Christ. And okay, God, what do you want me to know right now? What tool am I supposed to use? What do I need to know? And the answer doesn't always come quickly to me. Sometimes it does, but at least I've asked it. And I feel like God's going to answer it now. So all I need to know is keep going forward. Um, so that's kind of um, conflict. So one thing, I, that, real quick, there were a couple scriptures um, that I, that's why I flip. So I flip into Psalms a lot and uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, because even though there's tough stuff in Isaiah and Jeremiah, man, they're so many promises of God that are thick in those books, and I just need them. Like when I am wrestling and I have a really tough case, I don't know what the answer is. Psalm 20, trust in, don't trust, some people trust in chariots and horses, but we trust and boast in God. I don't trust in my legal mind. I don't trust in the legal, I mean, I trust God's giving, he's, I don't trust that what I have learned in law school or what I know as a lawyer is enough. I don't trust it because I've seen it fall short. I don't trust in that. Am I, do I practice it? Do I do my research? Do I do my homework? Absolutely. I need to be prepared. But I don't go into that courtroom trusting that I'm going to know all the answers. There's a lot of lawyers. And even when I tell my clients that who are Christians, I have to be careful how I say it because it freaks them out sometimes. They're like, what? You're not, you do, are you prepared? I'm like, and so I've learned. I can't tell them that completely. But I, keep, I do remind them um, that we trust God. You know, and we just keep doing that. The other thing is, is when I'm meeting with my clients, we always stop and do James 1. We ask for wisdom. And, we, and I say, and we're not going to doubt that we have wisdom. Because if we start doubting, we're going to go like this. So I said, we're going to keep trusting that we have been asking. We've asked. There you ask God. Some things you stand in faith for. You know, you go, okay, I'm going to believe in that and take authority. In that case, we ask. I always ask. We always ask for wisdom. So that's one mind of Christ. Um, it's only by faith that we please God not by all these other things. So there's just so many tools. So which tool is it, you know, that we need to focus on? Um, so the mo- final thing is, is that we have a very brilliant God. And in Genesis um, 1, 26, it says, we are made in his image. Every one of us is brilliant. And then on top of it, you add that we have the mind of Christ for all of those who have Jesus in us. We have the mind of Christ. We can, u- we can- we have we are equipped. And so we are brilliant. And so even when it feels like you don't know what you're doing, you don't know, you don't have to know. Just know you're brilliant. Anyway, just remember God. So that's it.